working. I don't know. I'll just yell loud. <clears throat> Before we move to the scripture, I'm going to make some editorial comments. <clears throat> you give me a microphone, you never know what's going to happen. We are really a blessed congregation in many ways. And one of them is our music ministry, led by Jeff and our choir members, our bell choir, uh, our, our band and orchestra who are not here today, but uh, we are truly blessed. I have had several comments made to me by non-members of our congregation who have come here and visited for various reasons and said, boy, what a nice musical program we have. So thank you all. Today's sermon is based on two reading of scripture. One is Acts and the other is Revelation. Amanda will read Acts and I will read Revelations. So hear the words of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's people and God will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Our second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 11. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As, it as I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. 
He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that God gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. May God bless this reading. Well, I am glad to be here with you in this way this morning. It's a little different. Uh, I knew that Andrew would ask me to preach at some point, um, but I didn't know it would be so very early in his tenure here. Um, Glad to be here. Uh, You may be able to tell that I don't preach every Sunday, uh, but certainly I think that we can trust that the Spirit will move, and we don't have to rely on my words or my thoughts alone uh, for God to work something out in our hearts this morning. So let's, let's pray on that. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I was introduced, if I, if I don't know some of you, I am your senior pastor's wife, um, but I am also a, an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ which I think of as a very close cousin to the disciples of Christ. I don't know if you know it, but the the catchphrase of the UCC is this line. God is still speaking. And then there's often a subtitle that reads, never place a period where God has placed a comma. Sometimes these words, especially that last line, uh, come off to me as a little bit silly. Uh, But today, after these readings, they actually strike me as quite profound. God is still speaking. God is still granting visions if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. I am grateful to have found work so quickly after moving here. Uh, I am working at Franciscan Hospital, or St. E's, um, as I've learned to call it to the locals. I'm working as a staff chaplain there, and I love it. I just love meaningful conversation. I'm not as good if you ask me about how the weather is or how just how, how you're doing, I'm fine. I, I like to dive in deep. And one of my uh, favorite kinds of conversation begins like this. It begins with the patient saying, I don't usually tell anyone this. And you might not believe me, but. And then they go on to share about an encounter that they've had with the divine. Seeing an angel, feeling God's arms wrapped around them in a moment of grief, praying for and receiving a miracle. One last moment with a dying loved one who wasn't expected to be able to interact again. You might not believe me, 
they say. And I often reply with something like, well, I've had experiences like that too. I've had experiences of the still speaking God granting me visions, especially it seems when I've needed it the most. And I've found that to be true for for patients I see as well, that God shows up to them when they are feeling stuck and like nothing can change. The visions they've had in the past uh, return to them when they're at the hospital. Those memories come up again, which makes sense because being at the hospital is a time of crisis no matter the size. God grants us visions when life is hard and we feel stuck. They remind us that God is still here and something more, something bigger than this moment is possible. I'll tell you um, about a vision that's kept showing up for me, making me think that I, like Peter in today's vision, or today's reading, I haven't quite gotten the message yet. Uh, When I was first out of grad school, I worked at a church in Chicago, uh, and we brought in someone from the local Catholic seminary to teach us about art prayer um, during one of our education events in Lent. So in our prayer, a number of images are laid out and participants are invited to choose the one that's most speaking to them. And to to this day, I regret that I did not ask to to keep the image I chose. Um, I wish I could show it to you. Uh, The choir has done a good job today dressing very brightly. um, And I hope that will give you a kind of glimpse of what this image was. Um, It was essentially a woman in white grasping, reaching towards the sky, surrounded just by a swirl of sunset colors. And in the exercise, we were to spend time with the image, noticing what stood out to us. And in silent reflection, we were to wonder what this image might have to do with the divine. Then we were asked to draft our own prayers in response. Um, So a little background on where I was at the moment of this exercise. I was uh, questioning my call. Uh, Should I stay in the church or pursue hospital ministry? And like a lot of young people, I was experiencing self-doubt and a bit of imposter syndrome. Would I ever be good enough to do this work? And I also had some health concerns So in all, everything in this moment felt very heavy and serious. And as I engaged with this image of this woman and the colors surrounding her, as I paid attention to its details and wondered about where God might be, I heard the distinct voice of the Spirit saying, Come dance with me. Come dance. And my very serious self teared up, and I felt this sense of lightness. Come dance with me. Come dance. Let go of the tight grasp you have on wanting to know what's next. Let go about, of thinking about how you're going to fix yourself, make yourself better in all of the ways. Just come dance with me. I must have needed a reminder of that last year. 
I was doing some research for an interfaith gathering I was leading, and I stumbled upon the poetry of a Muslim mystic who lived in the 14th century. His name was Hafiz. Uh, and not a lot is known about him. Some of what is known is legend. Uh, it's believed he wrote something like five to 7,000 poems. Uh, Daniel Ladinsky is a man who has translated uh, many of them, including this one, which I'll read to you. Every child has known God, not the God of names, not the God of don'ts, not the God who ever does anything weird, but the God who knows only four words and keeps repeating them, saying, come dance with me, come dance. I laughed when I discovered this poem. I felt, again, immediately this sense of lightness and relief. God is working something out in my heart in these lines. Hafiz's poetry is playful, and the way he writes about his interaction with God is intimate. Uh, he wants the reader to laugh, to gasp, sometimes to blush. He wants to shake us out of our serious and often confined ways of thinking about God in order to experience a relationship with God that's filled with descriptors more like delight, wonder, freedom. Oh, God is calling me to dance. When life is hard and I feel stuck, I'm reminded that God is here and something more, something bigger than this moment is possible. Hafiz's poetry reminds me of John of Patmos, uh, not in all of Revelation, uh, but certainly in the scripture we heard today. In this part of his lengthy vision, John is shown a new thing. John hears a voice saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's people, and God will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. John sees a vision of peace, of healing, of joy. What a relief it must have given him because life was otherwise quite difficult for him. As you might know, he was writing from prison uh, writing to fellow believers experiencing persecution, violence, oppression. Revelation has been popularly read as a prediction of what the end times will be like. Uh, in reality, most scholars agree, John was writing about his own time and the competition of the Roman Empire with some of its subjects' allegiance to God and Christ. It was a very scary time for this fragile bunch of believers not knowing what was next, and wondering how each person, let alone the community, would survive. And in the midst of it all, John has a vision, the length of which, the first 20 or so chapters, I'll just summarize as victory, victory for God and Christ and God's people. Hard one, kind of strangely described victory. And then chapter 21 a new heaven and a new earth, 
where there will be no more tears because there will be no more reasons to cry. John had a vision of a new thing. It wasn't only a promise for some distant future. The vision helped believers sustain and maintain hope in a very difficult present. John had a vision when life was very hard and many believers must have felt very stuck. His vision reminded them that God was with them and something more, something bigger than that moment is possible. I can imagine John whispering to us, I want to tell you something, but you may not believe it. When life is hard and painful visions of something beautiful can indeed be hard to believe. And oh, it's a whole different ballgame when the vision is of something God wants to change, even though everything seems to be fine. That's the dilemma the early church finds themselves in in our reading from Acts today. In this reading, Peter recounts to circumcised or Jewish followers of the way the metaphorical vision he had that prompted him to dine and fellowship with uncircumcised or Gentile believers. Peter walks his friends through this vision step by step. He explains how he saw a sheep coming down from heaven with four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. He tells them, I, I heard the words get up, kill, and eat. He protested, no, nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And then the voice replies, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now, soon after, when the men from Caesarea arrived from the house of Cornelius, uh, Peter realized the, the meaning of that vision. Here are three men requesting that Peter spend time with, eat with Gentiles. This was unlawful. He would have been made defiled, unclean uh, by this encounter. But Peter's vision tells him the spirit is at work, moving something both within his heart uh, and in the nature of the church. And in retelling the story, Peter asked his friends, who was I that I could hinder God? Peter had a vision that completely changed the nature of his community. This story is credited as being the first in uh, sharing that the Gentiles were included within the early church community. This was a really big deal. It changed the community's understanding of right versus wrong and who's in versus who's out. And Peter's vision and actions, they were questioned by his friends. The vision wasn't like Revelation 21, a vision that anyone who's experienced suffering would hope to have. Peter's vision presented a challenge, a call to action to have a change in heart to change the community's practices. And I can't help but wonder if some of them didn't question Peter's vision. Are you sure it was the Holy Spirit, our Holy Spirit, who showed up to you with that vision? They are eventually convinced, but it's slow coming. Oh, Peter had a vision of a new thing. 
His friends didn't want to believe it, not because it was too out there, but because it called on them to turn their previously held beliefs upside down. This vision, it showed up when the church was in a difficult place, not knowing what was next and how it would survive. The vision reminded Peter and their friends that God is here. Something more and bigger than this moment is possible. In fact, something more and bigger than this moment is happening. These are interesting visions to recount in our world today, I think, in the church in particular. Visions of God still doing work in our personal lives, providing comfort and encouragement. Visions of God's promise for the, for the future, which provides hope even now. Visions of God stretching us to change our notions of right versus wrong, of who's in versus who's out. I wonder about the visions that God might be trying to give to us, both as individuals and as a church. I wonder, too, about how these visions might provide comfort and hope for those who feel stuck, for those who have felt judged by the church as wrong, or those who have felt as if they've been put on the outside by those on the inside. God grants us visions that are hard to believe, either because they are too good to be true or because they require us to change in ways we don't want to. But I'm telling you, a new thing is possible. Something, something more and bigger than this moment is possible. God is still speaking. Don't place a period where I've placed a comma, God says. I'm here. Come dance with me. The home of God is among my people. What I have called clean, do not call unclean. Do not hinder me. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? May it be so. Amen.